0: This is the InFocus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to The Hindu's in Focus podcast with me, K. Bharat Kumar. The Indian government recently brought in import restrictions for laptops, tablets and servers. Following some strong reactions from industry, it has deferred the effective date to November 1st. But to begin with, what did the government aim to achieve with these curves? Shore up national security by having tight controls over whom we import from? Or nudge local manufacturing and thus spur job creation? Economist and author Ajay Chiber says he believes the government is going down the wrong path with this move. He is distinguished visiting scholar, Institute of International Economic Policy, George Washington University in the US. Let's hear what he has to say in detail. Uh, Dr. Chiba, thank you so much for creating time to be with us. Really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So we've had some exposure to your opinions on especially the, uh, the recent import curves, news of import curves that the government of India wants to bring on laptops, um, tablets and like electronics. Could you give us a short summary of why you think the government is wrong in introducing such import curves?
1: well i mean you know historically we 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 had uh, uh, after um, independence we had gone into this period of import substitution and um, you know import c- controls and curbs in fact more than that we even had production li- licenses um so so there was a, a lot of that directed industrial policy and uh, Built on import controls, but then you know the result was that uh, um, our growth rate uh, was not uh, comparable to many other countries, and especially later when many of the East Asian countries went into more export-led growth, uh, we we fell behind, and we had this notoriously referred to as the Hindu growth rate of four, three and a half to four percent, which my actually, my my old professor, Raj Krishna, he at the Delhi School of, he was my professor at the Delhi School of Economics. He is the one who coined that phrase, somewhat sarcastically, of course, referring to it as the Hindu growth rate, which you will appreciate since you're with the Hindu newspaper. <laughs> um, but uh, so you know, and then we had this period of uh, import liberalization. And, you know, um, I also recorded a piece, wrote a piece just a few weeks ago in the Business Standard, which showed that uh, our export growth has been quite impressive, maybe not in all areas, maybe not in uh, manufacturers as much as we would have liked to. But, you know, our share in uh, global exports, which was around 0.5% in 1990, In 2023, our share in global exports had risen to two and a half percent. So this policy of opening up on liberalization has, of course, meant that we have become more open to importing from the rest of the world, but it has also helped our exports in very significant ways. So I worry now that we are, after... uh, since after all the liberalisation we did by bringing down tariffs, removing import bans, uh, we are going back to this now, and hope. Uh, I, and what I warn is that this could lead us back into that very low growth period that we had earlier.
0: So I also see that you make a very uh, strong case for uh, ensuring such curves don't come in because sectors such as IT or ITS that depend on such electronics, competitively priced
1: products. Would actually be impacted so that's an interesting point that you've made earlier yeah and i read a quote by um mr narayan the famous mr narayan Munti, who started infosys he said had we not had the import liberalization in 1991 i could never have started infosys because you know he needed to import all the computers in order to get an infosys company going uh, and now of course our it exports are surging again and doing quite well overall, I mean, overall 20, 30 year period. And we want our uh, the target that the Ministry of Commerce has set for India's exports is 2 trillion by uh, 2030, of which 1 trillion will be in goods and 1 trillion will be in services. So if we want to have uh, ex- service uh, export Growth of that um, magnitude and sc- uh, speed and scale, um, we certainly shouldn't be the ones restricting, you know, imports of uh, kind of inter. I mean, I think of laptops and iPads these days as you know daily consumer products and, in- and inputs in a way into making India the uh, IT hub that it had become. So. Yes, we must produce more of these in India, but the last thing we should be doing is banning imports in order to uh, increase production in India. We should find other ways to do that.
0: So, uh, this industrial policy that you refer to over a period of several decades, uh, several countries, you know, including the U.S. and uh, countries in Europe, and now China. They've all, you know, sort of dabbled in it, and India has done its had, had its share of this in the past, and now we're going back into it. Is what you're saying? So, um, is the data on the outcome so ambivalent, uh, not clear enough? Because why would governments keep going into this again and again if there is not enough proof that this would work for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, there there are there are lots of studies which suggest that that industrial policy has worked to catch up, but I personally think that. Uh, these studies tend to exaggerate first of all the effect of industrial policy. I mean, when you look at East Asia and its success in exports or China's ex- success, I'm not sure very much of it has come from industrial policy by itself. I think it's come from fact that they had strong edu- you know human capital foundations, they had very developed very good infrastructure. They, of course, had uh, labor markets that were not restricted in any way. Um, so, so they, uh, and then on top of that, they dabbled here and there in industrial policy. But I think the effect of that is exaggerated. And one of the reasons I say that, not in my article, but I'm saying it to you now, is I lived in Vietnam as the World Bank director for, for, for Vietnam. I, and Vietnam, has had huge success and it is one of uh today the biggest success story on exports and one of our biggest competitors in a way the china plus one policy is vietnam now vietnam is one of the most open countries in the world you know its trade to gdp ratio is about 180 percent meaning that it imports almost 80 90% of what of its gdp and exports 70 80% of its gdp so so they don't think that the way to go about doing this is through import bans they want to in, in fact make a competitive uh, domestic industry built on buying imports from wherever they can find them at the best uh, available price and then exporting those products so i, I, I you know i think industrial policy as i'm of course, I mentioned it in my article, but I do think it's highly exaggerated, and I think the United States is now also making a huge mistake in pumping so much money into industrial policy. Of course, they're uh, they are couching it also as a, as a policy to address climate change, and uh, but la- it's largely built around an idea that. They have to bring production back to the United States, and 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 of course their their competition is with China, but they've also ended up hurting many of their allies, like in Europe, who are now retaliating by putting subsidies of their own. So, uh, as that IMF paper shows, it's sort of beggar thy neighbor policies, which will end up costing everybody and costing the consumer more than anybody else, right, and the taxpayer. So you
0: talked about human capital, and you know, in the past few interviews that I've had on various topics, but centering around India's uh, prospects, um, you know, jobs creation of jobs has been as um, actually as heels for quite a while now, uh, and we don't have uh, dependable government data yet. Uh, but whatever private sector data we have, uh, even if it's questionable, uh, the, the the methods by which we gather those pieces. Uh, it shows that it's not enough. And, you know, so obviously, and, you know, just personally, I've had experience in the IT services industry, which is so heavily dependent on manpower that it's impossible to find somebody uh, uh, good enough that ticks off all the boxes uh, that sort of compares with an equivalent uh, full-time resource in in, in the West uh, in terms of uh, skill, language, communication, all those boxes tick. So it's such a huge challenge and and now we often see reports of government state government schools uh, where at random if you inspect those schools and you know give these tests to children uh the basic arithmetic that a first standard uh, going child ought to know and when the child is in 8th or 10th he, he or she is not able to solve such basic problems so skilling education all of these are uh, problems um you have a suggestion as to what we should do now, because obviously it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's probably a couple of decades in the making. No, but even if yeah, start-
1: absolutely, yeah. So, so, so our so-called demographic dividend is is in danger of becoming a demographic disaster. I don't know if I mentioned this to you earlier, but I wrote a book, uh, co-authored a book called Unshackling India, uh, which were in finished it in twenty twenty one, end of twenty twenty one with Harper Collins and the financial times uh, gave it the award of the best new book in economics for 2022 and also the india economic forum gave it an award in india in that book i we go into detail on this issue of um, you know the labor markets jobs and skilling so so the way we look uh, the way the way i look at it is that you know, the labor market is heavily distorted in India. The labor laws have made sure that most firms don't want to become uh, larger than 10 employees because then they enter into the labor laws and then the labor inspector Raj applies to them. So very large. So, so some people argue that we have a problem of a dualistic uh, firm structure that is we are very large a lot of very large firms are very small actually our research in for this book showed us that's not even true 93 percent of the firms have less than 10 workers so that's one problem and that's coming from the fact that you know a lot of the bigger firms also now want to basically just use contract labor they don't want to employ people and give them regular contracts because then they fall under the labor laws so india has the largest mass of uh, what i call vulnerable employment meaning people who don't have fixed contracts and then so 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 the firms also have no uh, incentive to upgrade the skills of these people because this is contract labor it can come today and go tomorrow that's one problem the other problem is that the the so-called skilling of our labor force has been very um imp, you know um un- imperfect if you like so we show a statistic there that in Korea 80 percent of the labor force is what we call a skilled category in India that number is less than five percent and that explains The conundrum that you raised which is why how is it possible that it's so hard to find people so so people go through uh, go through this education system that we have without learning really any skills Uh, they end up then uh, with a a labor market where nobody wants to really upgrade their skills rather the large number of them want to hire you as contract labor and then don't worry about your skills. So there is a tiny layer of people who get what I call regular employment. And there, of course, the firms will, you know, spend time in skilling them, et cetera. But it's a very small minority of the total labor force that India has. So so this is a big problem that we lay out in quite a lot of detail in that book uh, that I would... uh, Point you towards um, that explains, uh, you know, and there I we look at the all the studies that have been done on this in quite a lot of detail as well.
0: Okay, so I pr- do promise to read that book. Now you've got me intrigued. Okay. I will, um, but you know, for the sake of our uh, viewers, if you could, uh, you know, just to touch upon that point that you made, if like a silver bullet overnight, of India had an opportunity to change these label laws um, in you know that worked well for companies, and that's on one side of uh, the discussion. The other is we've had uh, examples of IT services companies, the Infosys, the TCS's. You know, in you know, for a decade and a half ago, they used to do this kicking and screaming, but nevertheless do it, saying, "Hey, this is a form of tax. Even though you're giving us a tax-free status, we have to educate, literally re-educate the employees who come as graduates. So it's six months from the time I give or her the offer letter and say." I can't build them before six months is over. That's a training period. And then we have to buy our own water, lay our own roads in and around the campus. So all this is some form of tax. Um, and now in the current circumstances, even if it's like contract labor, I see the likes of Amazon, for instance, bring in a certain level of consumer service, customer service that I as an Indian, and I've lived here all my life, I'm not used to in other with other service providers. So if the Indian government can, tweak or you know do an overhaul of these labor laws and if companies can invest would that be a good solid answer to our problems where do you think we'll go from there yeah so i
1: think the problems are of course much deeper also it goes back to our education system and uh, but those have those if you start addressing them uh, will take quite a lot a lot of time to uh, work their way through but but the existing labor laws, if they could be uh, reformed to make more labor market flexibility, I think the firms would have an incentive to um you know uh, invest more in building up the this the skills that they require for their uh, companies. I asked a you know, I was advisor to FICI and I'm now also on the CII Economic Advisory Council. So I talked to a lot of business people and I asked the question, why aren't you people pushing for labor reform? And they said, Ajay, we have adjusted to this system. We are not, you know, we have either we have gone into very capital intensive sectors where we don't need too much labor and that labor that we need we know how to train them or we have contracted out a lot of our requirements and we and those we contracted out to smaller firms who go and hire contract labor and deliver us uh, the product so we are we have adjusted to this system the cost is that new entry is restricted by the system that new firms that could come compete and make India a more cost-effective, competitive um, industrial sector, those are the ones that are being restricted. The existing firms have no incentive anymore in changing the system because they have already adjusted to this system. So that's the way. So when you look at uh, reports done by you know, these big consulting companies, on they go and survey the existing companies on what are your main constraints. Labor, labor reform will hardly ever figure high on their agenda because simply because they are talking to the people who have already adjusted to the existing situation so it's it's not i mean uh, in our book what we try to show is where we have come for the last 75 years and which is where we are today and what do we do in the next 10 years so that by the 25 years uh, by 25 years from now when india becomes uh, um, at 100 it can become an advanced economy so it's not a reform that's going to happen overnight it's not like you put a ban on imports and you lift a ban on imports it's not those you know uh, press button uh, reforms but so it has to be done uh, over the next 5 6 years in a comprehensive way uh in order to the other Point we make in our book is uh, is why does India have an advantage in uh, IT services versus say regular industrial sector, and there we have identify the land market as a big issue because you know manufacturing industrial manufacturing requires more land, IT requires land but not that much, right, and uh, infrastructure for manufacturing needs is much bigger than for an IT company. So 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 there we argue that the that it's the land market that is really very highly distorted in India, and that these uh, zoning laws, that zoning the systems that we have, for example, the floor area ratio in India, where, where land is so scarce, is one of the lowest in the world. We, we have a table in our book which shows the the floor area ratio in india in urban areas is one of the uh, lowest in the world so that's why we have these cities that you see that for all uh you know delhi is 30 miles by 30 miles uh chennai has probably sprawled out all in, in the, into the interior and chennai has also mm, built up on all its uh, um you know um sort of uh, water catchment areas so that now whenever it rains too much the whole city always floods right that's showing you uh, um, a problem and and chennai is one of the cities i think I, I mentioned in that book in that table its floor area ratio and you when you compare that to say chinese cities or you know other countries their cities you see how big the gap is why are why? Why would we take our most scarce resource, which is land, which you know we don't have too much land in India compared to our population, and we um, use it so poorly? And then, of course, because uh, agricultural is income is not taxed, and because people don't have jobs, they've stayed back on the farm, and so farm productivity is very low. So we have a lot of land locked into agriculture, uh, where our yields are one third to one half of what yields could be so we can't release that land because we need the food and the agriculture uh, commodities because but and then we have so many people stuck there as well because they don't have jobs elsewhere so all these things are interlinked and we lay this out in this book uh, um, in in a section of the book uh, which deals with what i call factor markets land labor capital market same in the capital markets, uh, we find uh, very expensive. Uh, our banking system is very costly. We haven't had major crisis, uh, banking crisis. But you know, our if you look at the spread between lending and deposit rates, uh, India has a spread of close to five hundred basis points, which is one of the highest in the world, even higher than in Pakistan or in Bangladesh. You know, as we show in this book. So those are the reforms that we need to do, not just industrial policy. Industrial policy, on top of all, this may give you a slight advantage. But if you haven't fixed the fundamentals of human capital, labor markets, land, um, cost of finance, cost of energy, by the way, if if you look at the differential between what are... So India has a dual price structure for electricity so households pay less and in that book we show a comparison with countries across the world that households are in India the electricity tariff is is quite uh, comparable and in fact less than most other countries. but producers pay a lot more and produ- and in our case our producers are paying more than all our competitors. Uh, the same we show for petrol price and diesel price. you know. So we are building highways and infrastructure is improving the logistics performance index of the World Bank. We are improving, but actually the cost of running, uh, of moving products is very high in India. In the case of railways, we are 10 times higher uh, for the freight. For, for railway, passenger prices are... Quite low, quite reasonable, but so this cross subsidization. But freight prices for railways are very high, you know. So you know there are there are more fundamental factors than just industrial policy. Of course, they are harder to fix, and industrial policy is easy because you know you want to bring your computer in the market. You go and. uh, tell the government please put a ban on all the foreign ones that are coming (laughs) and and you have a captive market but in the end the consumer will pay that was so lucid the point that you make that you know there are industries that
0: depend on competitively priced products and i think that was a big takeaway from me so thank you so much i think it's time for your um, next interview as well I really appreciate your being with us, sir. Uh, thank you so much. Very short notice. You quickly turned around. I'm grateful to you for that. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.